Well, I'd say it must be time to start. It got quiet. Oh, thanks back there. That thing's pretty loud. That's on in. That's loud. We uh, come to chapter four, and uh, this is the real purpose in in Paul writing the Thessalonians. When you get to chapter four, although chapter one, two, and three are there for a purpose, but the first three chapters he's been defending his uh, his own apostleship, his ministry, and he's also affirming the integrity of the church, and uh, he's giving thanks to the Lord for them and and how they uh, conducted themselves as a church there, as a young church. So it was about his ministry and and the church. Uh, and it's really a foundation for what is coming up in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And so now we get to what he really wants to talk about, I guess if we could say it that way. But these are the commands of Christian living. And um, he wants them to walk as they ought to walk. And not that they're not walking the way they should, but he wants them to walk even better. And that's really kind of what we talked about last week. Uh, he wants them to walk... Uh, in Christ and to please God. And as we looked at last week, the first two verses, he wants to ex- them to excel even more, to keep getting better in their walks and following the commands. And then he starts off in verse 3 all the way to the end, chapter, or I mean, uh, verse 3 here all the way through uh, the end of chapter 5 and to the end of Thessalonians. So starting in, in chapter 2, he has really kind of started with some exhortations, but it really hits hits here. Now he gets really into what the call is, is to, to purity. And um, well, why, why does he have to do that with the Thessalonians? They seem to be doing okay. Well, they're a pagan society. And uh, matter of fact, it was a very wretched city uh, where uh, the people in the church had, had lived. And, uh, of course, their culture dominated and the people had come from that uh, kind of uh, society and it's uh, very much like our society and the way it is today. And, of course, at that time there was a plethora of different things going on. There were the uh, prostitutes, the concubines, the mistresses, the homosexuals, the pedophiles, the transvestites, uh, temple harlots, adulterers and adulteresses. You can go on. It just abounded in that culture. Uh, you think of Corinth, well, Thessalonica really wasn't any different uh, than them. Um, and so there they are. They're in a mass of people, uh, and they are new Christians, and they've been plucked out of these mass of people as God has chosen them to start a church there in Thessalonica, as Paul is the one who brought the message to them. And, uh, of course, we know that uh, many of them came from uh, just uh, same kind of culture as, as we think of, uh, and such were some of you, as he told the Corinthians, uh, what? Well, it says they were fornicators, they were adulterers, they were homosexuals, they were effeminates. As he said to the Corinthians, such were some of the Thessalonians, and there they are in the body of Christ now with uh, changed lives. Anyway, we're going to be, uh, be dealing with the will of God uh, tonight. And the will of God is our sanctification. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening and thank You for watching over us and guiding us. And uh, Lord, it's Your truth that we desire. And uh, may it um, be fueled up in our hearts to become even more like Christ 
as we take Your Word and uh, we apply it in our lives. Uh, pray that Your Spirit will uh, lead us into some more uh, fascinating truths about who You are and what You desire for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. The will of God. What does God require? Our sanctification. That's right. In uh, getting into the will of God, and he starts off in verse 3, after he has said that I want you to excel still more, and for you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then he starts with, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And so it's it, it's always amazing to see people stumbling around and they're wanting the will of God. What's the will of God? What's the will of God? I want the will of God in my life, right? And the thing is, is that is a good thing. I mean, we that's what we want. We want the will of God. What what's the will of God here? And in, in, in this situation, in this situation, well, we want to walk in Christ the way that He wants us to walk. We want to please God. We want to excel still more, right? Um, how to walk right, how to please God, how to excel here. And um, since all Christians have a, a longing for sanctification, we all want to be set apart. We want to be holy, don't we? I can't imagine somebody being a Christian and not wanting to be holy, to be more set apart. That's, that's in our hearts to do that. We, we know we have a new nature and because of that new nature, we are that way, and we can continue to be more that way. So, I got a feeling Paul realizes that the readers here in Thessalonica are desiring to do God's will and to even know it. They need to know what it is. And if people would just know God's will, what He says, like on a certain uh, topic, a certain area in our life, then a lot of difficulties in our lives would probably be eliminated because we say, this is what He wants. This is what I want to do, right? This is because He wants it. So there are uh, attitudes here that um, He definitely wants them to grab a hold of and all under the grace of Christ. Now, we, we speak about the will of God, and, and of course many of you have uh, heard MacArthur on the, uh, the will of God and the S-words. And we'll look at that for a few moments here. I think it's really fascinating. It helps us in our mind to think about this because all these are dealing with Scriptures where it says this is the will of God. And, of course, the first one has to start with salvation. Uh, why don't we turn to James 1.18 and uh, talk about an upfront verse about what salvation is and where it really comes from. And since we're speaking about the will of God, that's what we'll see immediately. In the exercise of His will, don't you like that? His will. What's God's will? Well, He brought us forth by the word of truth so that we'd be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. So in the exercise of His will, He brought us forth. That's a God-centered passage, isn't it? In His will, it was His will, His free will that caused us to be born again. And He used the Word of God. But He brought us forth. There's the will of God. And salvation. It was His will that we be saved. Did His will come true? If you're a Christian. Yes. And amen. Uh, another one is uh, found in Romans 12. He wants us to be 
sacrifices, as he says in Romans, and he deals with the will of God in that chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Sacrifice ourselves, our bodies, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And here we go. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So if we're sacrificing ourselves, if we are sacrificial, if we are um, the, the sacrifices that actually walk, uh, that are living, living sacrifices um, versus the dead animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, we are now the ones who perform this spiritual service, worship, and conform to God's image. So it's And we are to prove what the will of God is. That's what, what it is to be sacrificial in our lives. So, what do we have? It's the will of God to be saved. It's the will of God to be sacrificing ourselves. Another one is being Spirit-filled. And Ephesians 5. Verse 17 and 18. Real familiar. So then do not be foolish, and I like this, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if one doesn't want to be foolish, what do they need to do? <laughs> understand what God's will is, right? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be what? Filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled. Um, he has just made his uh, claim here that Here's what I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. It starts off with, here's the opposite. You can be filled with wine and be drunk. He says, don't do that. But be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Spirit-filled. So what do we have now? Saved. Sacrifice. What's this one? Spirit-filled. Uh, 1 Thessalonians. That's the book that we happen to be in. Chapter 5, verse 18. In everything, give thanks. For this is what? God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So, what's God's will? Well, that we be saying thanks. Always saying thanks. That's the attitude that He always wants us to do. That's God's will. So, if we're thankful, we're always going to be in the right attitude. Being thankful to the Lord. Uh, we can go to First Peter. There's a couple more there. 1 Peter chapter 2 it's dealing with uh, submitting to the government. 1 Peter 2 verse 13 through 15 Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the what? The will of God. That by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So again, there's uh, there's submission there. That is the will of God. Uh, still in First Peter, next chapter, chapter 3, verse 17. This is an odd one. For it is better... Uh, for it is better if God should will it so... There's His will that you suffer for doing what is right 
rather than for doing what is wrong. S suffering for uh, and Christ's sake. God's will that we would suffer. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? And got a, another one here. It's in First John five, fourteen and fifteen. This is the confidence which we have before Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. So there would be prayer or keeping up with the S word, supplication. And then now that takes us to the Thessalonians passage where he says this is the will of God here. It's your sanctification. This is where we start. This after we're saved, this is where everything starts. We start it starts with a holy life. Set apart, sanctified. Greek word is hagiosmos. Separate, right? To be separate from the old way of life, separated to God's kind of life. And uh, of course, that's the idea. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is what you want to be doing, right? And he has a reason for hitting on the Thessalonians, even though they're doing good, and he's already said that, but I want you to excel still more. It's almost like, I know the culture that you came from. I know that you, what you many of you were involved in. And so he starts with one of these, and of course, from here on out, he's going to be uh, addressing many, many issues, and he starts here with what would be purity. Will of God is that we would have a, a pure life in, in this case. Um, and then he, is it 1 Thessalonians 3, 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before your God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all the saints. Uh, Romans 6.22 and uh, Romans um, 6 starts off with being the uh, illustration I guess you could say of we're baptized into Christ and of course everything has changed and we were raised up from the dead we have new life and in verse 22 he says but now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in what? Sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. The benefit of that. So then he says, okay, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Um, boy, a lot of words that dealt with um, those times. Of course, uh, porneia deals with... Um, prostitution and which is the big problem they had there and then they had the word pernamai and uh, that meant uh, a, the filthy business that was involved and the, the pimping and, and such there's a puloke which means a concubine there's eteri which is really a friend but it's a friend that one would have outside their marriage as the wife was primarily there to take care of the house, do the cooking, do the laundry, uh, watch the children, uh, besides uh, prostitutes, 
besides concubines, which they would have, they would also have friends that they would uh, just um, have as an intellectual friend and as a, as a sexual partner. Uh, another word that occurred in there was moikos, and it uh, deals with the adulterer, the adulteress. So this is this is why Paul is addressing. Uh, and then you have the temple prostitutes. And if you have a relationship with a priestess, that's how you commune with deity. That's how you get close to the gods. That's how you get in touch with with them. And of course, the temple in Corinth are uh, known for having three thousand of them there. So um, Paul says, abstain. And that word there is apekamai. It means to stay away from, to have complete, total abstinence, have nothing to do with uh, any kind of illicit sexual behavior. And of course, we know that he uses the word porneia there, um, dealing with immorality. Um, a lot of Christians there, they're... They're just learning about some things, and you can imagine some of them were still still ignorant on some things, probably shallow, and uh, it was just un- every form of, I guess you could say, unimaginable things that was going on there. Some people say, well, United States has to be the worst ever in its morality, but uh, even as bad as we are, um, not necessarily because they were doing things there that is done here and uh, in some ways even worse. But we have it more available. And of course, you can think of the movies, the Internet, uh, and, and every manner or form that anything can come out that can be good. It's also bad. TV, any outlets that we have, we know there it is, isn't it? Staring in the face, even uh, just where people are selling things, just innocent things, there, uh, again, is a sexual issue. Um, and so this society is strongly pulled towards it. It seems like that's a dominating aspect. This is exactly where things were happening in Thessalonica. So do you think it would have been easy for them to fall back into it? That was their lifestyle before. It would have been, wouldn't it? Paul's concerned about it, so he starts off with that. Think of um, Charles Darwin. Definitely, definitely one who was uh, almost in a sense spawned by Satan. He said, we are not the creatures of God. We are simply the products of chance. Of course, we know there's no such thing as chance. But all morality then becomes questionable, doesn't it? Now you are not accountable to a creator, to a God, you're not accountable to anybody. And so therefore, you have this kind of thinking that starts with the fact that there is no creator and everything starts with uh, in this chance kind of thing and we're some kind of uh, being that has uh, come from somewhat primordial soup uh, and ooze. There's no real morality. You can see the thinking of why people would have that today. Charles Darwin then influenced Karl Marx. And if you take that kind of thinking all the way to the hilt in the political realm, uh, you can see where that goes. Logically, that's uh, that was extreme, and we suffer from that today. And he influenced others like uh, Sigmund Freud. And so he comes along in the philosophical realm 
And he takes it all the way as extreme as he can in the terms of psychology. And so this is where a lot of the thinking has happened today and in in the behavior in, in the world and in our country. Then that influenced people like Nietzsche who finally claimed that God is dead and there really wasn't any need for him anymore. People uh, didn't need a, a crutch. Bertrand Russell uh, mocked all of Christian values and was influenced by some of those earlier people. You've probably heard of Margaret Sanger. and She's the one who started Planned Parenthood. Um, Ernest Hemingway, supposed to be a tremendous writer. These are some of the greatest thinkers of our, uh, I guess you can say, the last uh, century or so. At least they were considered to be that way. Hemingway was probably the most classical, I guess, example of being a hedonist in Western society. Uh, there was Margaret Mead, and Alfred Kinsey, Masters and Johnson, uh, Hugh Hefner. A lot of these are the people that has come in in our time. Most of us, <laughs> right? And and uh, as we were young and in our teen years I heard about uh, some of these and the philosophical thinking and atheistic and hedonistic and pleasure mad anti-family you know anti-god homosexual pornographic just perverted people if it feels good do it and that was did that come out in the 70s or 60s when did that first start that was actually a theme that was said was that was Garden of Eden. Just whatever. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, right there. Genesis three. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 Was that uh, was that the late sixties? It was definitely in the seventies, wasn't it? There too. Always say stuff like that. That was. Well, they would fit that mold, wouldn't it? Outgrowth of some of these studies, and the only reason I know this is because I took a ton of psychology classes. It was an out outgrowth of the sexual revolution that was spurred by a lot of the research that Masters and Johnson did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just uh, exploded who was that, who was that at that time. That Ruth Westheimer. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Ruth? Dr. Ruth. Oh, wow. Ruth Westheimer. She's a kick. She's a kick. Yes. Her and uh, Dr. Joyce Brothers. Although I think she was a little more mainstream. A little more conservative, wasn't she? Was, yeah. yeah. She wasn't quite. Joyce Brothers? But, yeah. But she was the one that was, no, she was Freudian and the children, raising of the children, didn't she? Mm-hmm. I don't that know. Way? She wasn't a psychiatrist type person. Kind of a she TV a personality, right? With psychologist. Some, sometimes she had some really good common sense. Yeah. You know? It started that thing that really got out there about. about Oh, uh, um. Gloria Steinem? No, I'm thinking, uh, uh, feminist? was it Shirley MacLaine? Was she the one that was? She was in the New Age thing. Yeah, the New Age thing, that's what I was trying to think of. Her and uh, Nancy Moore. Reincarnation, she was really into that, pushing it. But, and that's how we've probably arrived at where we're at in the last um, 150 years, I guess. It ends up in behavior, doesn't it? Mix that kind of behavior with drugs and alcohol. You got the American culture. They're empty. They're searching for something, and they want to find that something anywhere 
But except where it really is. Except where it can't be God. It's, yeah. it's just too simple in Christ, isn't it? It's just too... Because there's a submission yeah. that has to happen. Just think. We've... Been get, we would we would think that way too if it weren't for God coming in and changing our lives the way the way that we think He's constantly conforming us isn't it to Him rather than us designed constantly to be conformed to what the world's about. Um, go to Ephesians five three. And here's a word. Telling them to walk in love, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And then he even goes on about talking, uh, filthiness, and silly talk, and coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You'd say, well, it's automatic. You know, you become a Christian, and you know, automatically that stuff is wrong. Well, I think in a lot of cases it is. All of a sudden, it's you know, people don't want to do this, but they start seeing some of the little intricate things they wouldn't think of. You know, sometimes people hang on to some of the language that they used to use and don't know any better. And, of course, Paul addresses that here to the Ephesians of all people. Filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting. He says you want to be giving of thanks to God rather than saying, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. Well that's and, and the word of God, that's what it's supposed to do, isn't it? That's what and you'd think to the, the Thessalonians, the Ephesians, these guys would have already known about that. No. You would think, well, even Christians today would know all about that. No, we constantly need to be reminded. Uh, and so that's why Paul mentions these real practical issues. Um, Colossians three. Two through five. Set your. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's it's not just that we we become used to certain words that our grandparents, our grandparents, would think were terrible to say, and yet we say them every day. I mean, I've I've never been one to use swear words. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying this to set up the story here. And I said one word in high school and my speech teacher was like oh. I'm like I didn't even know like, anybody took offense to it but I won't say it now but I still use it because to me it's just not a, a thing but I'm sure my grandmother probably I mean she, if you'd said gosh she would never say golly not gosh and mm-hmm. I don't use those words either but <laughs> just because they've come out of, out of fashion though not yeah. because I think but, but I, I say that also to say that we we become desensitized to things that that maybe we shouldn't become desensitized to. I, I noticed that like people people going around calling each other donkeys all the time is kind of really yeah yeah they, yeah. And I, say, I hate oh. the, the redefinition of words. Yeah, I yes. mean you can't oh. use. I used to use gay, you know, but not when it meant happy. Yeah. I I hate the redefinition of words. Like you have to call them flip flops now instead of thong. Thong. Uh-huh. Because oh, now somebody's made an undergarment that's that. Right. Or rainbows. How they oh. distorted what a rainbow hmm. means. Yeah. I, I hate the distortion of 
our language from what it used to be to what it's become. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, a girl I work with who calls herself a Christian. I, I'm not going to guess what her, that's between her and God, but outwardly she doesn't appear to walk the walk. So anyway, she says she's a Christian. But every other word out of her mouth, it, she says it's not a cuss word because she uses a word that sounds similar to that word. And I said, but Margie, the intent is there, you know, and like if she drops a piece of paper and, you know, you want to say oh and then the S word, she'll use the word sheet, like bed sheet, <laughs> instead. And it's like everybody knows what you mean, you know what you mean, God knows what you mean. You might as well have said the real yeah, word, right? Well, yeah, really, because it's like, it, she has words for all those other words, too, and it's like... <laughs> You know, I, I think like everybody it. should have to watch Winnie the Pooh because he teaches you to say, oh, bother, or oh, stuff and fluff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think that's great. I do. I think if we could all learn to say, oh, oh, bother. I, say I, need, I need to find out what it means. Yeah. But the Germans all say, uck. 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 And so that's what I, yeah, I picked I it up from Dave's grandparents. And it's like, I wonder what that means. Probably like... Like Maybe I'll look a lot of those up. European, you know, uh, I think it's like, like yeah, a, like a just a like. I I, I don't think it means anything. Yeah, I think it's just a. Octune. Octune. Yeah. Harumph. Boom. Those yeah, those cartoon little things again. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's how we um, here's how we keep from doing those things. Verse two says, Colossians three: Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So, what's this getting to? The next verse. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to and. We could have a list on and on and on. It starts with immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. You could go on and on, but you can see what he's saying. If we're setting our mind on the things above, on Christ, on uh, spiritual things, if that's what we're about, and realize that we died with Christ and we live with Him, and uh, with that kind of motivation, then everything else in this world is dead. Live by that way. So Paul, all throughout the epistles, constantly tells people how to live, doesn't he? First uh, Corinthians chapter six, verse nine and ten. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? What's the unrighteous? Well, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's quite a list there, isn't it? We could probably go on further. But he's saying if you practice these things, you're showing that you really have never ever been of the kingdom of God. And so he uses those words again, some of the words that uh, he's trying to deal with the Thessalonians here. 
Galatians 5, and he makes the same kind of remark here. Uh, now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. <laughs> just keep on going, right? Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. If that's an ongoing theme in one's life, uh, I think they really need to examine themselves, right? Alistair Beck preached on that one day and called that giving yourself a spiritual MRI. MRI. That's good. <laughs> that's right. That's the uh, the uh, Thessalonians, or uh, 2 Corinthians 13.5, right? Examine yourselves. Well, this is the passage you preached on. Oh, out of the... Okay. Yeah, he was comparing 19 with Galatians. Um, 22 with the fruit okay. of the Spirit. Oh, another theme that uh, that hits with that, Revelation 21, verse 8. This would be continuing with the, the spiritual MRI, right? But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons, there's that word immoral again, it's, and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Well, they will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? Chapter 22, verse 15, one of the last verses in the Bible. He says, Blessed are the ones who enter the gates in the city in 14 and 15. He says, Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, immoral persons. There's that word again. And the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. And he makes it clear. Uh, the dogs, that, well... Yeah, dogs are not going to get to heaven. I hate to say that. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Back in that day, those dogs were not like dogs are today. Well, the Jews looked at the, for one. The, they called the uh, non-Jews dogs, didn't they? Yeah, the Gentiles were considered to be oh. the dogs, uh, the uncircumcision, the dogs, as I think you see in Galatians, for instance, uh, Philippians. Yeah, so that would be in that sense they would they would just be the the, the utter trash of the world, right? Apparently and that word is coming back. Dog. Yeah, in a negative pig. sense. Right. Instead of calling people, uh, men pigs, I guess kids these days are calling boys dogs. Huh. Yeah. I don't think that's ever really going out of style. What do they call policemen stuff nowadays? They used to call them pigs. Popo. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> Popo. Hmm. That's what I said. Wow. The street talk. I lead a double life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not you do the rest of the week, right? Well, <laughs> uh, they are like the Thessalonians are like a little island of what salvation is in a sea of paganism. That's kind of where we're at too. We have our own little island. Christians, when I say that. And we live in a pagan world. And old habits had to be really uh, 
strong temptations for some of these, or at least they could in the future. So he definitely uh, reminds them of that. So that's why he he would start off with this as he's gone on for three chapters and he gets into chapter four and he says, I want you to know what the will of God is, right? And the first thing he starts off with this is this right here, total abstaining. So the next question would be is, okay, how, how can I... How can I keep from being in this impure society? I mean, how can I not be stained? Well, my flesh is so weak, right? How, how can I do this? And so he says that each of you know how to possess his own vessel. Sanctification and honor. How can I live this pure life? It's, it's, it's hard. How can I be sanctified? How can I be separated from sin when it's all around me? It's, it's like I'm in a sea. And so, you know, what's he saying here? He's saying that it's something that you must do. Now, we'd love to get into some kind of psychology and some kind of something we could take, some kind of a pill or something magical that we could keep from doing things. Someone has a bad someone has a bad habit, what do they need to do? They need to stop it. <laughs> I know that you know it, it, it can pull on the body and the, the body has reactions and people are st- like if somebody has been on a drug and all of a sudden, you know, boom, they, they stop. And then what happens? Their body makes them want it so bad. And, but ultimately, it's going to come down to this. To, uh, it's mortification. It's kill. It means to stop it. When we know that it's wrong, he says, okay, stop that right now. Uh, it's something that you must do. What he says here is that each of you know how to possess his own vessel or control your body. The word there, know, to know, you know. Each of you know. The word there is I deny. And it means to know how. You know it. And and it's it's coming from you. And he's pointing specifically to them. There's nobody that we can lean on except for, of course, obviously, Holy Spirit, uh, Christ, right? I mean, that we know that that's the power. That's the obvious answer. And is, is the only answer. But at the same time, this is something that we are to do. He's saying that each one of you must know how to control your body. Uh, the word there, possesses, means to gain mastery over. To possess it. To, uh, to own it. You, you hear that terminology today. Own it. Yeah. Okay, can I say something? In the King James... It says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And then, well, it said should know for one thing, but then it says, there's a note, possess his vessel. It says take a wife. (laughs) It says what? Take a wife. Now, is that in the text itself? No, it's a note. Yeah. I'm just curious why they have that. There, and believe me, there are commentators that will use that. And because vessel is used in uh, 1 Peter, I think chapter 3. I mean, these kind of notes are not like uh, study notes. They're more like an alternate translation. Yeah. And they would be doing that. And not that that's totally wrong, but to be honest with you, 
I don't think it makes a lot of sense in this context here. Um, there it would be taking control. If you got the problem, why would you be taking control of your wife? Or it's almost like if it'd be your wife or vice versa, right? The husband. Well, and yeah, isn't go ahead. That because isn't it Paul who said that if you you know it's better to remain single, but if you can't, it's better to marry than to burn. control yourself. Basically, First Corinthians get married. Seven. Yeah. Right. Is it along those same lines? Mine has that same um, alternate translation in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and it's not that it's that that strange because it is used for the wife, uh, if, like I say, in First Peter three seven. Uh, it's also used for the body. Um, okay. So if you can't control your body in the in holiness and honor, like if you know you're going to go around and commit sexual immorality, then Right. Get a wife. And right. I mean, it makes sense in that context, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm sorry, I keep throwing you off track. Could that be what, what is meant there, maybe? You mean as what you were originally just just saying it's there? Where it says take a wife, could that be the context that was um, no. Well, that, that definitely would fit in. I mean, when you're thinking of the Corinthians and the society that they were in, you know, that would you know go along with that in that sense. Um, and, and, yeah, it's talking about burning. You're in First Corinthians seven, so yeah, get a wife, and so in that sense. But I, I, like I say, it's it's one of those kind of things that there some people will use. Two meanings of it. I like to think of it really as, um, of course, in, in Second Corinthians we covered that where we are like jars of clay or uh, we're a vessel, right? And there it would be uh, concerned with the body. Um, and either way, it's it's talking about purity, and that that's the ultimate. But if it, it makes sense here that as he's talking about abstaining from the sexual immorality almost it's almost like okay you could you can do that if you have go take a wife then and that's what you would yeah. be saying there and that would make sense in that sense and that would go along with your first corinthians 7 um, if you read it in the sense of here's your own responsibility that you would know how to possess your own Body, not not control, not controlling any anybody else, but controlling yourself or your your body and what you do. Um, at any rate, I'm not supposed to let my body control me, right? Yeah. And I think as we we go down here, um, we see like he's talking about sanctification. He's talking about honor, not in a lustful way. And and so um, I think what he he would be saying is be careful what your body sees, be careful what your body hears, be careful what your body touches, be careful what you feel. You know, and and in that is being able to control ourselves and of course our mind. If you renew our mind, that's really ultimately what's going to do that. Well, how does our mind do it? Well, it has to be renewed. And, of course, this is what this is, is getting to. And uh, look in 1 Corinthians 6. 
12 through 15. There he's talking about the food and the stomach and it's, it's still uh, it's being able to control it. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So he mentions a part of the, the body. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. So... Um, there he's saying that uh, there's a control over that. Don't let food dominate you, right? Or, or anything for that matter. Uh, we, can, we can say no to things. Um, but uh, ultimately, he's, of course, he's saying that uh, let not immorality be all a part of that. I think of 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 27, Paul is uh, talking about running a race. Do you not know that, verse 24, that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize. Run in such a way that you may win. It's talking about discipline here. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. It's comparing it to uh, like the Olympics. Um, in verse 25 of chapter 9 of Corinthians. And 26, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air. And in verse 27 is the key. But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So he disciplines his body in every aspect of his Christian life because he didn't want it to disqualify him in his, in his walk. Do you think, you know, like if you were... I mean, all of us have something probably with our body we don't control. Mainly, most of us, it's probably some kind of food. (laughs) Sugar. (laughs) Anyway, is that something, though, if you've got somebody that just doesn't... Would that be a sign of a non-believer if somebody doesn't control anything, just... Where their body, I mean, the Lord tells us our flesh is our first enemy. Right. If the flesh rules that person's life, then. Right. Uh, and, and if we don't, that's, it's the whole thing of not letting things control us. And if it does, it shows you that really we can make food an idol. Mm-hmm. You know, eating, eating too much food. And but that doesn't make you a non believer, it makes you a sinner. Well, but I mean. If you get somebody that's not even trying to, you know, I mean, yeah, we sin, but I really try to, you know, eat right and lose the weight and not, you know, have food be controlling my life, but I guess I'm really thinking of my husband and that. <laughs> He's diabetic. It doesn't stop him from eating a whole bag of candy or a whole gallon of ice cream at one time. Or oh my he, he never stops any of his bad habits at all. It's like they control him. Yeah, I think it would be something like... Um, and that's Yeah, there, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it'd be, it could show a sign of a lack of the Spirit in their life. 
Yeah, not being controlled by him. Now, you know, can, can a Christian overeat? Well, yeah, if, if that would be the case, we're probably all in trouble, <laughs> right? Or it can be a number of things. But if, 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 it, if there's a point where it just seems like everything controls one, um, <laughs> regardless of their profession, it Paul would have been, he, he considered his ministry to be disqualified if he had things that were out of control. How's that going to look as being a minister of the gospel if, if he went around just doing things that were not not good for his body or not good for anything? You know, it's just a. He got beat all the time because he opened his mouth. Well, I smoked until twenty years ago, and he calls that his besetting sin. He said everybody has a besetting sin. Yeah. Mine is overeating. And those are those are those are struggles, aren't they? Yes. Um, you pray for deliverance, from those, but that's going to happen in God's time. It's great whenever we can, we can say, but "Nope, you know, I but don't." You know, you struggle need with it, it, but it's when you don't care if you struggle with it. it yeah. The, uh, I mean, you just get overtaken by it. You don't care. Yeah. 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 Well, that's and. Uh, of course, there he's talking about purity in our text, but you can go on. And of course, we saw some other ones there. So it's it's buffeting the body, uh, maybe saying no to some things that wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but they can be a tendency to overtake us, or they can take us away from uh, maybe things that would be better. Uh, those are those are not necessarily the black and white issues sometimes, uh, but we do know that's that's why. It's 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 good to have discipline, even when to some it may even seem like a, a legal aspect. And then, of course, that can be too much too. And then all of a sudden we start worshiping the legalism that we do. I can do this, and you know, can't you do that? You know, you ought to quit that. And, you know, <laughs> then we run in all sorts of trouble. Uh, this walk is is a, is a tightrope sometimes, but with the power of God. So, how do we do this? Well, in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. So, what's the secret? There must be some psychological book out that can help us here. <laughs> Galatians five sixteen. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Then he starts talking about deeds of the flesh. What's it start with? Immorality. There's that porn Impurity, sensuality, idolatry. And there's the list that goes on. And that is versus the Spirit, right? But one thing that gets to me on that I mean, back in this line, we're, we're focusing on very physical things. Mm-hmm. Well, it, there, it does start in the mind, no doubt. But the works of the flesh, if you go down here, there's some difficult things in here. Envyings. I mean, these other things you can see. Idolatry. Yes and no. Witchcraft. How many of us are involved in witchcraft? <laughs> None, I would. But hatred. Uh, pharmaceuticals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. But Hatred, I don't know what variance is in this King James, but... Strife, or enmities. And... Contentions is the word that you find. Envyings. 
all of us, I think, and maybe I'll just speak for myself, but some of those things are, are we almost look, look over them. Oh, everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody hates something or someone or, or envies someone. Yeah. We all get fits of anger. Things in our hearts. But what happens with those is they consume things in our hearts that vex us. Vex. But what happens if you but if you continue with that, those consume you. The jealousy, the anger, the envy, the strife. It's it's like you're you're feeding you're feeding it. So you if there's a tendency but the tendency, then you have to realize that it's sin, and what are you going to do with it? You well, what's that? To, you have to realize that that's something, if that's your tendency, maybe people have a tendency to be dr- drink liquor or whatever else like that. You, if you know that that's something that you stumble with or you have trouble with, then you know you got you got to get away from it because it consumes you from the inability to keep growing spiritually. So that's control, it's, right? It's what, what does vex? What does vex mean? A vexation. Uh, well, I was thinking of it as when I used that word as um, like a nagging, like a like a irritation. Yeah, antagonizing thing in my heart that you know just like like say if I've got it in for somebody or I'm you thinking, over and over and over uh, keep it. Running yeah, you know a theme. That, so that would be kind of like that would be a kind of you become that thing bitterness. Basically. Yeah. Says it's the state of being annoyed, frustrated, or worried, and you stay, you keep it running. The tab is running. So that can that is a controlling matter, then, couldn't it? Even though it's it's behind, it seems like it's behind the case, yeah. but it's there. But I was I was trying to use that to kind of color what I thought Audrey was talking about. That you know you've got physical outworkings of things that can be sinful or mm-hmm. that are in those lists, and it's then you got what's going on inside. It's just as sinful, even though you may not be mm-hmm. acting on it, or maybe you are because you you're withdrawing yourself from your somebody in your family or friends, or mm-hmm. you know you're keeping this wall or your whatever. You Gotta know. keep a score. And there's yeah. eyes on you too. Mm-hmm. Satan is watching you, and he jumps on every single. I'm speaking as one who knows. He jumps on you every little one of these things, and he makes them become you. You become these things. And they become you and you live them constantly and you start to believe them. Well, that's why when you read through the epistles, you see what Paul, he hits on this constantly. So that's, that's the lie that, you, that yeah. we battle with that we don't want to give yes. into. That mm-hmm. We're in Christ. We're overcomers. We're yeah, and anybody who's read screw tape letters too can Oh yeah. You know, it's like he's watching you and whispering little lies I've read a lot of Andrew Murray lately and one of the one of his pet sins that he refers to every once in a while, like if there's a trouble with this or that or the other is temper. So apparently that was a big thing in his time and place. Maybe it was for him at one point. Temper. Losing your temper, and but that's what I have had. A, but that's years. in society. Even when I think of, God, it's, yeah, uh-huh. talking, Barb was talking a while ago about that lady, and that's the very thing. Temper is acceptable. Yeah. You know, she uses different words. Yeah. You know, but it's a, it's a temperament. It's a self. I so self 
What was the Jerry Bridges book? Uh, seven, uh, the sins, deadly sins. Respectable sins. sins. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what he hits in that book. That's exactly what that's all about, is those inward thinkings. But it's really always back to pride because it's a self. Why do you cuss? Why do you do that? Because I have been offended. I. Right. And it's that's the thing that those things are to do is to sit and say, I'm not to be offended even by what somebody else. I think somebody had you know contend against me. I'm not to be offended by that. That's the very thing of those of those sins, and there are you know there, there are sins that will destroy you. They keep you from responding to people, even you know. Yeah, there there really is a game. You know, it's a whole yeah. Self, being self, mm -hmm. yeah, the self, yeah, mm -hmm. offensive that we use to back to the self. There's and, the control. I got very upset with a young lady the other day. I wouldn't the details of why, but I just she was just a little younger than my two daughters, and I started off with if either one of my daughters had acted the way you had, I would not put up with it at all, and I just went on and on. But I was not happy with that girl. And then afterward, I feel terrible. You're convicted. <laughs> I feel terrible. Well, that happens. Because we know, Aubrey, she hadn't been raised the way you raised your daughter, so why could you expect such? <laughs> Sorry. But, That's the subject you're like, well, they don't know. And then I feel bad because I felt kind of good about what I told her. Oh, self-righteous. <laughs> well, but, but when, you told, when you told her that, did you tell her that because you cared, or did you tell her that because you, you were mad? mad? She's a bitch. Were you offended? <laughs> not offended, but oh, the whole Repulsed. situation was just yeah, <laughs> anger producing in me. Did, the whole situation was just bad. Mm. Was it a righteous anger or a self-righteous <laughs> anger? I don't know. Okay. Does get personal, doesn't it? Well, would be the same thing as my mad would be. Well, and that may be. I mean, I'd like to think that, but when I get mad, everybody hears that she's got an anger that is there, but it's it's a quiet anger. Yeah. I'm not trying to be psychological about this, but I do think it is sometimes helpful when we self-examine is to kind of know know what our sensitivities are, of course, you know, self-awareness, and then, and then kind of know, like, at what level, say 1 to 10, with 10 being high and 10 hmm. low, you know, w w like, when that button gets pushed on you, are you at a, an immediate 10, or do you kind of simmer at a 4? I go from 0 to 60, just like that. See, that's what I mean, it's like that self-awareness, I think, can help us keep ourselves in check a little bit. But there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to handle a situation like that. And I'm almost 60 years old, and I haven't figured that yet. I don't have it either. And he'll keep bringing them to you until you get Yeah. <laughs> well, I, in a way, I hope so. Because there, I, I, There's grumpy old men, but is there grumpy old women? Somebody said, I never thought I'd grow up to be a grumpy old man, but here I am killing it. I don't <laughs> <laughs> it might have been. Yeah. I, I, I get I get a chuckle some of these things. I think it's fun to laugh okay, at ourselves. Okay, boys, is he a grumpy old man? Uh, is he a grumpy old they man? They can't answer that. I am. Not they honor, he's he's asking, asking, asking their fathers. No, not... 
He's in a good state. You might get cantankerous every once in a while. Right, right. It's, it's the flustering moment. But get off his lawn, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, you can come over anytime. It's just that we have, we have all these high steps and nobody can get up. <laughs> okay. Otherwise, we'd have everybody over every Sunday. Well, but it, you're all welcome. <laughs> if you can figure out a way to get up. <laughs> well, you think about it, you go back, and, and of course, you know, we don't want to let those things dominate us, so that's what we have to control. We all have to, like you say, I think there's there's a practical element in how, how we do that. Hey, hey, yeah, rank this up. Is, is this. Is this one of those kind of things that is dominating here? Is this is how powerful is this? And so, if we take look at that, yeah, take an inventory of it. Really check it out. And so, if that be the case, because we're going to be the ones that's going to check it, nobody else can. That people can tell us, and that might just make us even more mad. But you know, if we're filled with the Spirit, and and I think about what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, patience, patience kindness. Patience. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Self-control. So we go, ooh, I've been blowing it there a lot. Okay, let God work in us as we work it out. And so there's an element that we can kind of check and see. And hey, is this thing really? Yeah, I'm blowing right out here on this one. Then we can say, okay, I've got to do it. Nobody else is going to do it for me. Nobody, only, and we know we're relying on the Holy Spirit. You say, "Yeah, I know that's my only power." Every one of us know that. And I don't even have to say these things. You know, this whole thing about abstain from sexual immorality—that's you know, talking to you guys. That's like um, bringing—is I heard this before. Bringing ice water to an Eskimo. Yeah. You know, you guys know all about the. You know, how do how do you approach this? But. Whether it be this or whether it be some other issue, some other kind of sin, you know, he's saying that we want, yeah, preaching to the choir. But it it, it is all good for us because as you guys have brought these things out, we all know what we battle with. So take the ones that you already know, and you know, wonder how many other things are there that we don't even know about. <laughs> Nobody's ever told us about. I've never noticed it. But how many's there that we don't know? But um. Um, he says, "Don't you know?" And we'll finish this this out with this: sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. And lustful passion is compelling feelings. Let your feelings just dominate. Just let it go, right? I think that's what Debbie was talking about. Just let things go, whether it be speaking, whether it be uh, with bad words, whether it be what well, we use food, whatever. Um, it says, "Like the Gentiles who do not know God." So he said, "Don't act like the pagans." You know, they function on one thing. Passion. Feelings. Right? That's how they, they live. As soon as the feeling runs out, what do they have to do? Find something else to replace it. And, and um, if you, you know, people get tired of one person, then they go on to another person. And so, anyway, he says, don't be like the pagans. They don't have any thought for holy conduct whatsoever. They don't have the power to do it. They have no thought for that. They don't know God. They they have this passion, this pathos, compelling feelings. And lustful is epithumia. There, it's a, it's a craving that's just out of control. And um, God eventually turns people over to their lust, to the out of controlness. And as we finish this out. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother. 
in the in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. Don't take advantage of others. In verses seven, eight, and um, well, that was in six. Or, uh, in six, that no man transgress to fraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger. Why should we do these things? Well, for, first of all, God judges, and we know that He will avenge it. Not if not now, later, right? Uh, just as we told you before and solemnly warned you, God judges. The second one is dealing with the purpose of God. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. There's the thought, the theme that we've been with. But in sanctification. So it's because God has vengeance. He will judge, number two, because of His purpose, which is sanctification. Yeah, Barb. I'll go, on to, go ahead and go on to C and then I'll ask my okay. question because it's backtracking a little bit. And then verse 8, for So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now he's talking to you know Christians in Thessalonica who have the Holy Spirit. And he says, why should I do this? Well, because God has vengeance. He will judge. Number two, it's the very purpose of God that we'd be sanctified. That was our theme. And number three, because God's Spirit is there. 1 Corinthians 6.19, last verse. And it goes right along with all this. I got a question on this uh, verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. So he's really saying that it's not coming from man. Well, like, you're not really rejecting Paul, for instance. Let's say somebody's saying this. You're not rejecting man, you're not rejecting Paul. Uh, or any preacher, you're really rejecting who? You're rejecting God. But then he says, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. So if He's given us the Holy Spirit, how can we reject Him? Well, well, He's saying what if if anybody continues or they do these oh, kind of things, continue. if you don't... Yeah, like in here, if uh, in the case of sexual immorality, if they were practicing that kind of thing, uh, you know, you're you're not rejecting just man or words here. You're rejecting God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Of course, you have the Holy Spirit. And who was it? Uh, yeah, Bob, you were saying that... Oh, conviction. And Audrey was saying that you felt bad after you you know, got the temper, right? Mm-hmm. Conviction, right? Where did the, the conviction come from? Yeah. It's coming from God Himself. So He's talking to believers here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. So that if you continue in these sins, even though you, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit, is essentially what he's saying. Yeah, and in this case here, he's not even necessarily saying they were doing that, and maybe there were some. And it takes back to our First Corinthians, Second Corinthians that we were in the other day. Check yourselves, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. That can be to unbelievers. Of course, this is straight to believers, to the Thessalonians. Although there would be unbelievers in that crowd, like there could be anywhere else. But uh, we, you know, we can reject. Anytime we sin, we've rejected what God's commands are, right? So Christians can reject God's truth. Now, we're not saying a rejection like it is for an unbeliever, which is absolute rejection all the time and everything, but if if we're not obedient, then what are we doing? We're rejecting His truth. We're not doing that. 
So if, if you if if they if they were practicing sexual immorality, then they have to remember the Holy Spirit is there. Hang on a second, there, Barb. Back to that verse six nineteen. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? I think that would do well to when we're ready to do any kind of thing that would be disobedient to God, all we have to think about, Holy Spirit lives within me. He resides in here. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we've been bought with price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Yeah, Barb. My question has to do with purity. The word purity. Is that talking about sexual purity being chaste or is that talking about purity in other aspects as well? It would depend on the context if you're coming out of Scripture there. Um, In in this case right here, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. In that case, He's talking impurity. Yeah. Is that um, sexual impurity or is that just... I think what the context would be in, in that sense... Okay. Yeah, because uh, he's been really honing in on sexual immorality here as he starts. Here is this, and because of where they were at. But that can run in, and you could use that text, though, uh, and along with other texts that, you know, that would be impure thoughts. But most often in Scripture, you're going to see that word probably linked with immorality, impurity. Um, okay. that, that, does that make sense? Well, pretty heavy, uh, heavy text there. But he's just—he's yeah—he's playing for purity in whatever manner form. He's talking about being sanctified. So when he's talking pure of heart or something like that, then think think on these things. You know the the, the purity, you know the, the things of God, a clean heart that He's given okay. us. Yeah. So that that sets it up for the rest of the chapter as he goes into uh, other topics, and then he gets into, of course, uh, the second coming. And uh, so, anyway, Paul definitely had a lot of practical issues that uh, he wanted them to deal with how to live that Christian. Life. And remember, he's already said you're doing it, you're and you're loving. Do it even more. And we looked at all those verses. And so that's why he does this. That's why I think that I don't think there was a real problem there like there was in Corinth, but still yet he he wants to urge us on. And who any of us could fall at any time if we're not walking in, in the spirit in whatever way. Nondor, would you like to close us in prayer? Yeah. Sure. All right. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank you for your truth and for the teaching of your word. Thank Dennis uh, having him prepare for tonight and uh, for the word and the truth that he brought forth and we thank you for your word for uh, this book and for Paul and the Thessalonians and uh, we ask that you uh, uh, just have have the teaching tonight and your truth uh, follow us and have us meditate on these things to live a life pleasing to you and to live a life of 
of holiness and, and honor and not of impurity. And uh, cleanse us, Lord. And uh, thank you, Lord, for your Son, for uh, washing our sins away and uh, making that scarlet, Lord, uh, as white. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.